0: Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael, and I'm excited to announce that we are next moving to the book of Daniel on Walk in Truth. What an exciting book, and what a timely book. I dare you to be a Daniel. Man, this guy was awesome, and his friends as well. They conquered compromise in chapter one. Daniel had interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We have the fiery furnace. We have Nebuchadnezzar being humbled, the writing on the wall, Daniel in the lion's den. We have so many incredible stories coming up, so many incredible lessons. We have the 70 weeks prophecy, spiritual warfare, the second coming, the rapture, the resurrection. This is an exciting book, and I'm excited to present it to you on Walk in Truth. Let's get going. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now here's Pastor Michael. What king and kingdom do you ultimately serve? What is it worth to you to be a person of high principle, to have your name be one of respect? To show consistency in who you are as a Christian. These are questions that we all wrestle with. And we wrestle with them, especially out there in that world. Sometimes we wrestle with them when nobody's around. And we're dealing with a moment of, you know, decision as to a, you know, maybe a temptation that's coming our way. Maybe it's been a long process where, you know, we're struggling with all kinds of things and wondering what are we to do? I think the book of Daniel is going to answer some of those questions and give us a wonderful uh, place to anchor ourselves. Uh, As I look at the book of Daniel, I I just want to give you quickly a title uh, in terms of how you can remember Daniel's name. If you think of the name Daniel, it's the name of Dan, and you'll see an E-L, you have an I-E-L ending. L is the name for God. So whenever you see E-L, and you have an E-L ending on a name, like Michael or Gabriel, It is the name of God. Dan is the name of a tribe, but it actually means judge. So Daniel's name, if you take the Dan and the El at the end, what you have is the name that means God is my judge. And it's a very fitting description of an author of a book and a man that we all love and respect. Because what Daniel really believed was God was his judge. He didn't believe ultimately that he was going to stand before a man or before his parents or his friends or his boss or even a king of Babylon. He believed that ultimately he would stand before the judge of all the earth. And I believe even though we don't know anything about Daniel's parents, we know that they had an influence on him. And after all, they named him Daniel. And if you guys uh, have gone through a process where, you know, you find out um, the bride is pregnant and you, maybe you go to a baby book of names and you're trying to decide, well, what am I going to name this child? I think for Christian parents, especially names have great significance than they did in Israel. And we have no information about Daniel's parents other than to know they named him Daniel. And it could be something like this. son. Daughter, there's going to be a time when I'm not around. There's going to be a time when maybe we get separated or I'm taken to heaven and I'm not going to be here anymore. And I've named you to remind you of something. Ultimately, God is your judge. I'm not your judge. God is your judge. And Hebrews 4.13 says that everything is naked and open before the one to whom we must give an account. We're going to give an account of our lives to the God of the universe, and we're going to give an account to our Lord, our King, and our Savior. So Daniel is a book about believers living in a compromised culture. So don't think you're alone. If you feel like when you go to work or wherever you may be on a regular basis, and and you may feel like you're the only Christian in that setting, but you're not alone. All of us as Christians who are trying to live a holy life are trying to do it in a compromised culture. Let's face it. Right now, uh, children starting at the age four and going to, I think, about 23 are now called Generation Z. Now, I know a lot of us have been decrying problems with millennials, right? All millennials. (laughs) Right? And we've been doing a lot of that. And if you're a millennial, I apologize to you. But be of good cheer. We're going to talk about Gen Z for a moment. Gen Z is about four to 23, and somewhere in there, and uh, they're facing now a whole host of problems, where postmodernism used to be the issue. Now we're really in a post-truth culture. Uh, in academia, in university settings, now they don't even know if anything can be said to be true anymore. And so here you are as a Christian, whatever decade you're living in of your age bracket right now, and maybe you've taken a stand on absolute truth and maybe you want to get through to a child or a grandchild. You need to know the culture that they're living in right now, they're not even sure if such a concept as truth exists anymore. So you can understand why we have to be having some different conversations with our Uh, generations that are coming up like, what is Christianity? What does it really teach? Is it worth defending? Who do you want to be in this world? There's so much at stake and it's coming at us in rapid fire. The latest is AB 2943. It's now on the docket in California. And the basic idea is if you try to talk to someone about homosexual struggles, same-sex attractions. And let's say they come into a church setting and a pastor says to them, hey, I'd like to recommend a book. And I think you can overcome these same-sex attractions by understanding how God made you and dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blanks. Well, now a law is trying to be passed in the state of California that if you direct someone to a book like that, and try to change their way of looking at things, or the world may say their orientation, you could be open to charges against you. Now, who do you think that's directed at? And they're they're saying books, that if you recommend a book, well, what book would be included in that? What book would we recommend to someone if they're dealing with that kind of same-sex attraction? Now, look, we know it's out there. We know people wrestle with all kinds of sins. But if someone was to come to a church and talk to a pastor, what would be the reason they would come? Well, most likely because they'd want to know, can they change? Is there hope for them? There's, a, there's some deep struggles with people who have same-sex attraction because a lot of them deep down know it's wrong. And so they're looking to, to understand if there's a way out, if there's some way to overcome this. Just like a lot of other issues that we might have dealt with in the past, or maybe we're dealing with right now. Maybe a gambling issue. Maybe it it could be a drug. Maybe it could be uh, pornography. It could be a number of different things. And what would someone who is in a spiritual position, they would say, yeah, you can overcome that. Every sin can be overcome by the power of the risen Lord. If you make a decision to get into your Bible, if you make a decision to grow and get your roots deeper in Jesus Christ, then you can change. We'd say that to anybody. But now, apparently, there's going to be one type of person that if we were to say that to and recommend a book, we could be uh, facing charges now. Now, this is where we are. This is AB 2943. And I would encourage you, we're sending out stuff to the church, but to call whoever you need to call, senators and the like, and let them know how you're feeling about such a law. And please, you know, pray for pastors and uh, leaders in churches, because this is, this is becoming very real, really fast, you guys. I, I'm not telling you a story up here. This is coming down the pike of California right now. And, and be assured, our governor is going to sign it if it gets to him. In the book of Daniel, we do have issues like how does the church interact with the state? For example, in Daniel 4.27, if you take a peek for a second, Daniel does say to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, as he's in the king's court, these words. I know we haven't done a verse yet, but we're doing an intro as well. Daniel 4.27 says, therefore, O king, he's dealing with Nebuchadnezzar, may my advice be pleasing to you. Daniel, a Jewish man, says to the king of Babylon, break away now from your sins, By doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Does the church have a place to speak to the state, if you will? The answer is yes. Here's a Hebrew prophet, if you will, and Jesus does call Daniel a prophet, saying to the king of Babylon, Repent of your sins, and maybe it'll be a prolonging of your prosperity. Help out the poor, do the right thing. The church does have a voice in the culture. But right now, and this is going to be especially true of Gen Z, but it's also true of millennials, that they are being shamed for what they believe. Because the alternative is so scientific. People like Richard Dawkins and others in our culture are making our teenagers feel like idiots because they believe in the God of the Bible. Because they believe that science leads them to a creator. Which, by the way, that's where the scientific evidence leads us, is to a creator. But many of our children and grandchildren, we need to know this as parents, go into the public school system if they're there and they are shamed for their beliefs. There are statements on the internet. There are websites that will shame you just for believing in the God of the Bible. Ironically, the country was founded on belief in the God of the Bible. And yet, here we are today, following in the train of Europe and moving in on a slippery slope indeed. Here is Daniel in a foreign land, willing to take a stand. In fact, he's willing to say to a king who could say off with your head in a microsecond, repent of your sins, king. Do the right thing. I think there is a place for that. And thank God that we do have some positive movements in America right now where people at the top, at least some of them, seem to be listening to biblical instruction and they're asking for prayer and they're praying over certain decisions that are being made and we thank God for that. Daniel is a captive in Babylon and yet he has decided to take a stand. Here we are in America and we can barely take a stand with our neighbor. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, Has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I would encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look. See what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Here is Daniel in a foreign land, willing to take a stand. In fact, he's willing to say to a king who could say off with your head, in a microsecond, repent of your sins, king. Do the right thing. I think there is a place for that. And thank God that we do have some positive movements in America right now where people at the top, at least some of them, seem to be listening to biblical instruction and they're asking for prayer and they're praying over certain decisions that are being made and we thank God for that. Daniel is a captive in Babylon and yet he has decided to take a stand. Here we are in America, and we can barely take a stand with our neighbor or our best friend or our family member. What if they came to America and said, you're you're kicked out of your country, and you ended up on the streets of, let's say, Mexico, and let's just say somehow you ended up in a palace with the president. Would you stand for your faith then? You know, The seeds of this belief, if you will, started, I think, just by seeing Daniel's name. Daniel's book is uh, twofold in terms of just the big picture. It is extremely practical and prophetic. If you're a note taker, you might want to write that down, two Ps. It's practical and prophetic. The first part of the book is very practical, although there is overlays on both ends. So we get into, for example, chapter six, and we're going to see Daniel Uh, refusing the edict of the king, and he ends up in a lion's den. Hence the picture of the lion behind me. We're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll learn their Hebrew names in a moment. And they're going to take their stand and not bow before the colossal statue of Nebuchadnezzar. There's going to be practical ways that we can see how to take our stand in a culture filled with compromise. And then there's going to be prophetic uh, things in the book as well. Many, many prophecies in the book of Daniel, so much so that many skeptical scholars have tried to redate the book of Daniel to the Maccabean period. So you're talking about the intertestamental period from Malachi to Matthew. You had 400 years of silence there. And so we're moving about, you know, from 200 to 150 B.C., somewhere in there. In the Maccabean period and they want to redate the book of Daniel to the Maccabean period because there are so many meticulous prophecies in Daniel 11 alone there's like 100 specific prophecies that were fulfilled in Daniel's uh, lifetime or immediately thereafter Daniel chapter 11 I should say in the next couple hundred years after Daniel's life um, They want to redate it to that time, but I will tell you this, on solid scholarship, you can date the book of Daniel between 530 and 535 B.C. Daniel's the author. His name means God is my judge. And he writes between 530 and 535 B.C. If you're wondering who are some of Daniel's contemporaries, who lived during the time of Daniel, people like Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, to name a few. And so in Daniel's world, uh, he, had, he had some contemporary prophets. He had some companions or even family members that were taken captive with him. And so it was easier, I think, for him to take a stand. There's an interesting uh, way to confirm the earlier date of the book of Daniel by looking at an ancient story. It's recorded by Josephus. He records an incident during the time of Alexander the Great, which supports the early authorship of Daniel. When Alexander's invasion reached the Near East, Judea, the high priest went out to meet him and showed him a copy of the book of Daniel, in which Alexander the Great was clearly mentioned. As we'll see, Greece comes up in this book several times. Alexander was so impressed by this that instead of destroying Jerusalem, He entered the city peaceably and worshipped in the temple. That's recorded by Josephus. We do know that the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, was completed around 250 BC. You cannot date the book of Daniel to 170 or 150 if it's in the Septuagint, which was completed in 250. Everybody understand? It was already there because it was completed around 530 to 535. And the only reason someone would want to reject that is because they want to reject the supernatural. They are scholars that come to the scriptures, and I put scholars in quotes, with a presuppositional view of anti-supernaturalism. They don't believe prophecy is possible. So why would we believe them on the dating of the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel is in the Septuagint. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Jesus said Daniel was a prophet. And one of the incredible prophecies in the book of Daniel is the specific day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the, what we call Palm Sunday, or the Triumphal Entry. We'll look at that in detail as we move into chapter 9 of the book of Daniel. Daniel was not only a prophet, but in Daniel 10 11, it says that he was greatly loved in heaven, or highly esteemed. Why was Daniel so greatly esteemed in heaven? Because he was a man of God. And heaven had a wonderful view of Daniel because Daniel was a faithful man. And he was faithful to his calling in his lifetime. That's all you can do, by the way, is be faithful to your calling in your lifetime. You got a certain amount of time to live on this planet. And then Daniel's name, God is my judge. We're going to stand before the Lord. And we all know that we're going to get in by grace. And we're hoping and praying that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. And so this is, why we want to study a book like this. Now, Daniel 1.1 kicks off this way. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, we're in Daniel 1.1, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, there were three uh, besieging episodes that occurred under Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, in terms of Jerusalem. He had the first wave in 605 B.C., The second wave came in 597 B.C. And the third wave in 586 B.C. So if you're interested, and this is something that I think is helpful for all students of Scripture, is that you're going to learn some history as you go along. And this is, a lot of the stuff is affirmed by secular history outside the Bible. The first wave, 605 B.C., that's when many believe that Daniel and his friends were taken captive in the first wave. The second wave came in 597 BC, and uh, that's when some priests were taken and some of the royal family. There are many who believe that's when Ezekiel was taken into captivity in Babylon. And then finally in 586 BC, a major milestone date for all students of Scripture, because in 586 BC is when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem to the ground. He raised it or leveled it. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians. And about 150 years later, the southern kingdom was destroyed by Babylon. Assyria destroyed the north, major date, 722 BC. And Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, destroyed the south in 586 BC. Those are two major dates to remember. But remember also that it came in waves and certain captives were taken uh, in each wave. Exiles were taken, and we have a marker, a historical marker. You're going to find this in many of the books of the Bible. You find it's the third year of a certain king's reign. He's the king of Judah. He's in the south. This is about 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem to besiege it. Jerusalem just seemed to be one of those cities that when someone was, was mad, be it a king of Egypt or a king of Syria, they were kind of in that in-between place. If you get a chance to tour um, Israel, sometimes the guide will tell you that Jerusalem often suffered just because it was in between Egypt and Syria and other nations to the north. And sometimes nations would fight each other and kings would come back upset because they lost and they would take it out on Jerusalem. And this is just kind of the history of that city. War after war, destruction after destruction, pummeled. And uh, in 586 BC, it was leveled to the ground. And so um, this is a little bit of the history of the backdrop of the book. Uh, Daniel and his friends, though, had an advantage. And here's one of the advantages before all of this occurred. There was a good king that lived and his name was Josiah. and He made a lot of reforms uh, in Israel. He smashed the, uh, the idols down and he reopened the temple and the book of the law was read and he realized that Israel was at a, at a bad place for, as a nation. And so under Josiah's positive reforms, Daniel and his friends probably got anchored in scripture. And I think we could assume a couple things. Number one, Daniel's parents had a large positive impact on him. And number two, Josiah the king had a large positive impact. And it just goes to show you that if you have someone good in leadership, they can affect many people for many generations. And even though we live for a window of time and sometimes we think in 50 years after I die, is anybody gonna remember me? I don't know if that really matters, but really what matters is the impact that you can have on generations to come. Josiah, a good king, and he was a rare one. And the parents of Daniel are among a couple that we can think of and we can think of the application for us tonight. Like, what's the positive impact that I can have in my lifetime on other people? I can do it if I have a platform of leadership, if I pour my life into others in terms of leading them spiritually, I can do it as a parent, I can do it as a grandparent, I can do it as a mentor, I can do it as a discipler. There is somebody that you can be pouring into right now To have a positive impact and that impact may branch out in more ways than you could imagine you touch one life and that life becomes on fire for Christ you never know how that's going to branch out positively and so don't underestimate the power of a life that's been sanctified to God don't underestimate your ability to have a positive impact on people Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. wanna tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.